Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie, my co-host is Brian, and if you haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating and review. That really helps other folks like you find our show. Also, if you haven't already done so, be sure to check out our website, thebmegradpodcast.com, for more information about us, links to our social media and other listening platforms, and a form to get in touch with us. And just one more announcement, if you've been listening along, you probably already know that we're about to start a two-month winter break, so we'll be back again with our next episode on January 27th. For today's episode, our guest is Lucy Herrero. Lucy and I go way back to our time at UNC. We both graduated from the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering at UNC and NC State. And Lucy is currently a Manufacturing Science and Technology Engineer, or MSAT Engineer, at Humasite, a bioengineering company based out of Durham, North Carolina. Humasite is pioneering the development and manufacture of off-the-shelf, universally implantable bioengineered human tissues, and it's super interesting. On this episode, we'll talk with Lucy about Humasite, her role, and her experience and advice on searching for jobs with a student visa. Please enjoy this interesting conversation with Lucy Herrero. Hey, Lucy, it's really good to see you again. Thank you for volunteering your time, especially so close to the, uh, in the U.S., the Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you, Ali. I'm so happy to be here. I, you and I go way back. Um, what, 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 was I your TA or something? Or were we in like yeah. a club together? I was your TA. Okay. What was yeah. it for ju- junior design or senior or sophomore must have been design? Sophomore design. Yeah, yeah. Cause I didn't do senior design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sophomore design. Uh, what did we do back then? We programmed a microcontroller in that class to like oh make God, a circuit, yeah. do a little thing. What did it yeah, do? Well, uh, it was the H bridge. With the oh, circuit. and yes. so we had to program the motor to go forward and backwards and stop. There was like a sequence or something. Right, 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 right. Did we do that in C? Because we did it in C. Yeah. What did you guys do it in C? C. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Throwback. So um, <laughs> Lucy was always a standout person and student, and you were involved in a bunch of research um, while you were at UNC studying BME as well. Is that yep. that's right? Right? Yeah. Yes. That's correct. I remember talking to you one time and you were, you were like kind of in the cross between of like, do I continue on the research path or go and get a job? Mm-hmm. Um, what was kind of fueling that thought process back then? Well, I had done research for like the three years, uh, like sophomore through senior year. And I was working at the time at a physical therapy lab where I had a lot of freedom. Honestly, I didn't have like that hierarchy of like report to the grad student or the postdoc or whatever. It was a very small lab. And so I worked directly with my PI and uh, that really fueled a lot of passion for like the research process. And I just felt like I really wanted to help people with my research. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, it was like, oh my God, my vision is to go to grad school. I'm going to get a PhD in this and that, and it's going to be great. And then I help people with my research. And by the time that I was graduating, I was honestly just so burnt out yeah. with the pandemic and everything. I mean, I did maybe like a year and a half of online schooling and I couldn't take one more Zoom class. <laughs> I was <laughs> <Yeah>. done. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, so I was like 
do I maybe want to take a break and work for a little bit and see what that is like and maybe mm-hmm. earn some money in the process um and and feel like I'm not burned out with academics and schooling anymore so I can go mm-hmm. back in a couple of years or do I want to keep going and ultimately I was like yeah I definitely want to get a job I actually did apply to some grad schools um but I was like I'm gonna apply to like the most top grad school programs out there and if I get into one of them it is a sign but I have to go to grad school you know (laughs) (laughs) I can smell the burnout on that sentence yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) I was like it's this or nothing so you know someone else is gonna decide for right me, ultimately <laughs> and it just so happened that the grad school thing didn't work out for me and I started job searching in earnest um because I was like I can still help people with a, you know just doing a job I just Absolutely. need to find a company that is very geared towards that vision mm-hmm. and so that's what I decided to do and and honestly now that I've been out of school for what like a year and a half now I do not want to do a PhD like absolutely not (laughs) I changed my mind which is what they always tell you they're always like well you start working you're never coming back to school and yeah (laughs) that's true uh yeah yeah. (laughs) and I'll say like some people do go back right or it's like it's really interesting how you can never plan it out like mm-hmm. like maybe you want to go to grad school and then you try working you're like this is great and then maybe as you're working you're like wait i want to specialize in this specialize in this mm-hmm. and you kind of go back to school so like you know right maybe, you know maybe maybe it's in your future maybe it's not but i'm glad that you like right. what you do right now that's good i think i think what happened for me was like i i had this said vision of like i'm gonna go to grad school and get my phd and this right. is how i'm gonna develop my career right and once i started working I realized like, oh my God, I like this so much. Mm-hmm. And even even some of the stuff that wasn't as technical. Because, you know, being in BME, you're used to like all these super technical classes and labs and you have your senior design project and, and everything is like so engineering. And even though I, I was kind of in that world still, there were many projects and things that I was doing that weren't as technical. And I started to really enjoy that. And so I was like, well, maybe I do want to go to school one day, but it's not to go like on the super technical path that I thought was going to be what I was going to do. Uh, So there's definitely been like a big shift in the past like year and a half or so. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, You know, where are you at right now? Um, What does your company do? What do you do? Um, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Right. So I work at this company called Humicide. We're located in the RTP area here in Durham. Um, and what we do essentially is called a human cellular vessel or HAV for short. And so this is like a blood vessel that you can implant into anybody without causing an immune response. And so basically what we do is we will culture and grow the cells and then we're going to seed them into like a polymer scaffold. It's like a mesh with a tubular structure. And so mm-hmm. over time, the cells start growing. They form this collagen 
uh, matrix. And then mm-hmm. we go through a decellularization process where we remove all the DNA, like everything that is um, like a sort of biological component that could cause an immune response later on in the human body. Right. And and what you're left with is this tubular structure that honestly is like a spaghetti. Like <laughs> I've had the privilege of touching one and it's nothing like you would think. Yeah. Is it like cooked it's, spaghetti then? Like cooked like, or raw spaghetti? Yeah, yeah like al dente. No, no. Where are we at yeah, with yeah, the spaghetti? Like spaghetti. <laughs> you would think it was slimier, but it's not. It's super interesting. Um, and so... Right now, we have like a couple applications that we have clinical trials for, um, but the one we're filing for with the FDA first is going to be trauma. And so basically, whenever somebody gets into an accident and they're told like, well, you know, your whatever artery got compromised, you might lose a leg, you might lose an arm, you might lose your life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of having that be the outcome or having to use these all these graphs that are maybe made from like some sort of polymer or they're from like a cadaver or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use an HAV literally off the shelf um, implanted in, in the body. And over time, your own cells will populate the vessels and, and become a part of it, which is super, super cool. So we're in that part of the regenerative medicine world. And it's really exciting because at least for trauma, we're, in, we're finishing uh, phase three of clinical trials and so commercialization for us is in the near future and it's something that we're working super hard towards now um we actually went public last year so like we're we're not really a startup but we're not really commercial yet we're in that weird spot yeah. you know so i was gonna ask about that because i was reading and the company was founded in 2004 yeah and so there's a long history there um do you know anything about that like kind of the yeah, progression so, to now yeah so actually so the company was started by our ceo from mm-hmm. dr laura nicholson in duke at duke like at her okay. research lab she used to work at duke um and right there with like her postdoc students and then like my supervisor currently was her number one employee like first employee ever as a like Duke undergrad student. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's how they started. And uh, they've scaled up slowly, you know, going through all the clinical trials. I know we did a right. bunch of clinical trials, like you have to test on animals first. Um, then we outsourced the manufacturing of the vessels somewhere else. And, and now we're finally at home in the heart of RTC, um, having gone through becoming public last year and so is everything now manufactured at the rtp site correct yeah we have a big site um and you know we're ready to go commercial whenever the fda lets us (laughs) in a couple years yeah so i guess i have a stupid question like how have the clinical trials been going i'm sure that's like a really uh reduced way to ask that but how have they been going what's what's that look like in terms of the commercialization timeline you know, trauma has been going great. And actually, we got the opportunity earlier this year um, with, you know, everything that's been happening in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had the opportunity to send some vessels over to Ukraine for compassionate okay. use over right. there. And 
it's it's been going great like they've been you i think maybe five or six people have them now and it saved their lives like nothing could have saved their life otherwise and these people are recovering well it's been already a couple months um and so that shows you like in real time you can use this in a war zone Mm -hmm. right and it's going to work and i feel like that's really helped us in our process with the fda as we're still wrapping up like our official clinical trials um so you know hopefully because the timeline always shifts right but like i want to say like 20 sometime in 2024 you will find hivs on the shelf somewhere in a hospital that's so exciting yeah that is that is so cool i guess like i I'm in the process of like sourcing components right now for my product and off the shelf, like hearing that this something like this is off the shelf is like really cool to me. Like you would always think like, or I guess I always thought like something like tissue engineering or something like Mm -hmm. this would be very specific uh, or Mm -hmm. like maybe to the blood type or something for that immune response. But um, that's, that's really cool that you can just kind of take it and mold it to the situation and for the patient and then like save a leg. Right. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And I know some other um, of our of our indications that we're going to be filing for with the FDA or like, um, I want to say peripheral arterial disease is one of them. Mm-hmm. And the other big one is dialysis access. Now right. that's huge. So many people need dialysis in the U.S., right? So um, hopefully in the next few years, again, we'll, we'll see that happen. Awesome. So I bet you don't just play around with spaghetti at work. Uh, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> um, well, so I work as an MSAT engineer one. And for those who don't know, MSAT stands for manufacturing science and technology. And again, because we're like a small company, but hopefully transitioning into a bigger company. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, we're very much in the manufacturing side of things, so we don't really do any of the process development or R and D work. Um, we're very much like trying to keep compliance with everything we're doing. Um, we're the ones that if we have like a non-conformance event, something goes wrong and it's out of the procedure, we're the ones who are like assessing impact and we're being like, so and so happens. So we assess all the different parameters and all um, of our process critical quality attributes and all these things and we say you know this yes this will have impact or no and this is why um so we work really closely with like quality um we're also doing a lot of like floor support kind of like the thing that you would see more of like a process engineer doing sometimes so you know we're the ones as as you know manufacturing associates and other people from the manufacturing department are there doing the hands-on work to manufacture the HAVs. We're um making sure that you know everything is going smoothly, we're providing support whenever it's needed. Um if we have like a piece of equipment that is failing or there's a problem with a component, then we might be the ones who are working alongside someone from metrology and trying to get it to work. And other than that, it's like I said it's so much we're like assessing all the data at the same time making sure like all the trends are looking well Mm -hmm. um we're all like you know in the spirit of continuous improvement we're just trying to make the platform that we have better and more efficient and that's that's always something we're struggling with because you know our platform is just so unique like the bioreactors and all the equipment that we use is really just like 
designed for humicide and by humicide, you don't yeah. find that anywhere else. And so right. um, it's very complex and some things you're like, oh my God, we need to do this better. Like we did not design this well. And other things are like, yeah, this is, works great. And we have to actually like see what works well with this and apply it somewhere else. So one, uh, I guess I want to point out that it's interesting to me because I'm in new product development and R&D. And so we're doing mm -hmm. like the initial bits uh, research and then we like actually develop it all. And hearing mm -hmm. that you're on the tail end of that um, kind of shows me like how far your company is. Yeah. Um, two, I would like you to maybe break some misconceptions of mine because when I think bioengineering, I'm like thinking like wet labs and like under a hood mm -hmm. and like creating cells and stuff. But yeah. then I hear everything from my experience as like a manufacturing engineer of mm -hmm. like equipment and CQAs, like you're saying the critical quality mm -hmm. attributes and, mm -hmm. and these processes. So like I'm hearing like equipment and I'm hearing like what I apply to like medical devices, like a PCBA board or like a robotic yeah. surgical thing, but I'm, but I'm thinking hoods and I'm thinking the wet labs, like what does mm -hmm. that manufacturing environment look like? Right. So like you said, it's not like I'm in the in the wet lab, you know, pipetting. And yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking, though. <laughs> doing all this stuff. Uh, I think some someone from like process development, like you said, or R&D is that's definitely something that they do on a daily basis. But for me, it's more like I'm using, I guess, my background in biomedical engineering, you know, all the troubleshooting, problem solving mm -hmm. background in biology and, and medicine and even like mechanics um, and physics to be like okay so these are the different parameters that we monitor for um, if this parameter goes out of trend how is it going to impact the other three or four right um, how can we just maybe like our knowledge in mechanics to like make this component in the equipment better mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot of also just like kind of standing there and just, I don't know, using like your problem solving skills on a daily basis and, and being like, okay, this went wrong. How can we improve it? How can we do it better next time? And, and like go in that direction. I, I think we're applying like many of similar skills just in like very different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what I'm hearing though is like, I guess it makes sense. I, what I'm thinking of is the research side of maybe the tissue mm -hmm. engineering and, and that kind of stuff. What you're yeah. doing is like the production side with, I mean, mm -hmm. everything's already developed. Everything's like yeah. automated now. So you're trying to hone in and make sure your processes aren't um, mm -hmm. swaying and, and uh, making sure your equipment is working correctly. I guess that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And I think something that's important for us too, is like whenever process development does something, right. They're, they're researching this new way of, I don't know, doing a media exchange or mm -hmm. maybe we want to do a feed this amount of time versus this amount of time. How is mm -hmm. that going to impact, you know, our, our critical quality attributes, like I said. And so yeah. we grab whatever results they have and we scale them up. Yeah. Um, and we like apply whatever knowledge we like essentially do like a tech transfer of mm -hmm. like whatever they came up with how do we apply that on the manufacturing floor and make sure that we are still complying with all the regulations that we have to comply for because i think when you're doing r d and you're doing process development you don't really think about quality on the floor in the manufacturing space you're like no this is the product that is going to go into a person mm -hmm. and you have to make sure that you're doing you're ensuring like sterility is being maintained like every single thing you do you have to keep that in mind 
and you have to make sure that you're compliant basically like you're compliant 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 like that's it (laughs) and and I think I I never thought of that as I was like so into research back in my undergrad and and now that I'm on the side of the manufacturing type of things it's like it's so interesting because there's all these rules that you have to kind of like follow but that just I feel like that just makes it more exciting (laughs) in a way yeah the challenge is definitely there yeah Yeah. so what was the role you were in at Humasite before your current role yeah so actually when I was job searching like I said I knew I wasn't doing my grad school anymore and so Mm -hmm. because research was all I knew I was like, oh, I really want like a position in R&D or in process development or something like that. And it didn't work out that way. Ultimately, by the end, I was like, I will take anything. (laughs) I just want to put my foot in the door. Right. Like we can only go up from there. Right. And especially if it's a company that I feel like I really like and that Mm -hmm. we have, we value the same things. And that's what I felt with Humicide. They at the very core they want to help people and and they're very special about their culture and and the people who work for them and and, you know the product that we're making and so I was like this I want to work here no matter what and so I didn't care what position I was going to start with I don't I didn't care if it was R&D or in manufacturing or whatever it was I knew that you know everything is an opportunity to learn even if it's not what you expected and so the position that they had open at the time was for a manufacturing associate. And, and that's basically, you know, being very hands-on in the manufacturing space, um, mm-hmm. manufacturing the HAVs. And so I was like, you know, this will be give me a good chance to learn because this is such a unique platform. Like, right. I feel like very little of my schooling prepared me for this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, yes, you have your background information, like from your science classes. And yes, you have like, your soft skills but but nothing could prepare you for this and so it was I think like it was a great opportunity for me to to understand firsthand how we manufacture this and what it takes like what is the smallest human error you can make that will like cause like a catastrophic event right like you have to know those things and if you didn't do that like firsthand it's hard to visualize and understand especially Mm -hmm. if you're like fresh out of college and so I think it was a great opportunity for me to do that and as well as you know when I started we were still in like still in the pandemic right um so there weren't a lot of people in the company and there wasn't much going on I, I don't I don't think we were manufacturing anything at the time because one of our batches will take months like we're mm-hmm. growing a vessel like that takes a while so mm-hmm. so um I think we because of some reason we just weren't manufacturing over the summer when I started and so even though I had all these procedures to learn and like training to do that wasn't taking up much of my time and so I would go to the manufacturing director um and I'd be like give me something to do right what can I do right like I I even if it's like sweeping the floor, I'll do it. I don't care. Uh, oh my I'm god! The best floor sweeper. <laughs> <laughs> Hard worker. I know she's the best. And so he was like, "Sure." 
And he was like, let's just grab this recent college grad who doesn't know anything and put her in one of the hardest projects in the company right now. And so what started as like a small side project just to like help out in my free time actually became a monster um, of a project that only recently finished up until like, what, like two months ago or something. So it took over a year. Hmm. um to like put this project and bring it into effect and um so it was like an awesome opportunity for me because while I was still you know manufacturing the HAVs in the forum getting great mentorship I was also on the side whenever I wasn't doing that working on this project I was gaining a lot of like visibility with people from different departments um I was Mm -hmm. learning so much about the company because this project did not only encompass like the manufacturing department but it encompassed everything. It encompassed like, um, you know, MSAT where I'm currently working and automation facilities, metrology, like pretty much almost every single department that has something to do with manufacturing right. in the company. Um, and so that was like an amazing opportunity for me to learn. And that's what ultimately led me to the position that I am in currently. Um, about six months after I started, um, a position opened up in MSAT for an engineer one. Um, and so um, there was like some stuff with my visa that I had to figure out. And a manufacturing associate position actually does not require like a bachelor's degree. And that was a requirement for the visa that I have. And so I was like, well, let me just make this jump <laughs> to MSAT. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up working great. Could you could you explain that a little bit more? Because I've never gone through um, the visa process. So, what do you mean by like it? Uh, the the one you were in, the first role you were in, didn't require a bachelor's degree. Um, yeah. So, so I am an international, or I guess I was an international student. Um, mm-hmm. I'm originally from Costa Rica, born and right. raised, and so I came to UNC with something that's called like an F one visa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. After you graduate as a STEM major, you get the opportunity to have work authorization for three years, Mm. pretty much. And so that, of course, has its own requirements. Um, One of them being that you have to have a position in your field that requires at the least a bachelor's degree. Okay. Especially, um, well, that's not a requirement for the work authorization itself. But if you're looking towards getting sponsorship for a work visa, say like an H-1B and stay in Mm -hmm. the U.S. for longer working at that company, Mm -hmm. um, that is a requirement. Mm -hmm. Like whatever job that you're holding that the company is sponsoring you for needs at the least a bachelor's degree. And so that wasn't the case with my original position. And I, of course, was looking to grow and continue learning in other departments. And so making that shift to a NIMSAT engineer one was like exactly what I needed in several aspects, not only the visa. Gotcha. Yeah. How the H-1B visa works, it's a lottery pretty much. And it happens every year. Yeah. And so as someone who has a work authorization for three years, you get three tries, right? The thing is you can go into a lottery unless you meet that requirement that I just Mm -hmm. talked about. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like, if we wanted to get me into the lottery for that first year, I had to have, I needed a job 
that met that requirement. Right. And so I talked with my manager a lot about that and they were like, we're hopefully going to open so-and-so position inside the department that you can like grow into next year. Right. But there wasn't like, there wasn't any guarantee, right? Because it all ties in with the budget and like they have Mm -hmm. no control over that. And so it was like good timing, I guess. I was just like, looking at the at the careers page and I was like wait what this thing opened up and I know Humicide has this policy that you can't change positions until you've been in the company for six months like internally mm-hmm. and so it was like perfect timing like me yeah. hitting that six month mark and this position becoming open and it just so happened like oh well, if I do this now we still have lots of time left before the lottery open lottery window opens yeah yeah meant to be so do you have your h1b do you have your h1b now no that lottery didn't work out for me (laughs) that's so stressful what is like what would be do you have any thoughts on that for maybe folks going through a similar situation i'm sure that can be really stressful and you're trying to align like all these logistics with also your passion and career goals which is like just a challenge that um like i don't know it's really a privilege to not have to deal with that so do you have advice for for students and professionals going through that process and, and what to do there yeah i think you know as, as i was becoming more and more desperate in my in my job search process because i was seeing you know all my all my fellow bme students post on linkedin and being like i just accepted this position and so and so and and really mm-hmm. as an international student sometimes when you're filling out this online application and i don't know maybe you've seen it too if we were searching um job searching in the past and they would have this question it's like do you require right sponsorship or do you can you legally work in the united states or whatever and mm-hmm. and so that sometimes counts as a filter and so if you don't have the right networking mm-hmm. and the right contacts you're going to get filtered out and you're basically essentially just sending out your job application into the void and you're never going to hear from it again until maybe like a couple of months later you get a reply and it's like yeah you were not selected for this mm-hmm. <laughs> so um i think my advice would be first don't don't choose something just because like in your desperation don't choose the first thing that comes to you just because it's it's what you have actually after i accepted my offer at human side i started getting like a lot of of other opportunities show up and i was just like well i already got this but thank you so much um so (laughs) you know just trust yourself trust the process and like have patience and it's going to work out mm-hmm. and I think ultimately what made a difference for me was like leveraging your network and I think that's true for anybody going through the job searching process like you're much more likely to get a job faster or get a job period if you're using your contacts and your networking um you know um to get like your foot in the door somewhere and for me it was just like okay I know I really like this company Humicide and I told Colleen uh, from the BME department and she was like oh here's actually this is the email address and the recruiter let me introduce you to her and so Mm -hmm. that was kind of like my way in 
And I was so persistent, <laughs> so persistent with this recruiter. And I feel like my passion really showed through that eventually it just worked out. Good for um, you. So yeah. So I would say for sure, like make the effort to network, use your resources, either like from alumni or friends, family, or just like the resources from your department and make sure you're you're talking to the right people instead of just like I don't know filling out 10 job applications a day because that makes you feel productive that's gonna get you nowhere yeah and uh, I'm really glad it worked out for you so far Um, (laughs) I think this uh, advice is really applicable to other people as well not just like international students right like these are some good advice I would say like we we have some other episodes as well on our um, on our podcast of like resume building or networking and and Mm -hmm. kind of on the networking like what you said I like the the deeper relationships you were building. Um, I heard it up at a panel once. It was while you know Colleen set it up. It was at um, UNC, NC State. Uh, it was someone gave the advice of instead of drill, like if you're drilling for oil, you don't want to drill like ten foot holes, like 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 ten thousand ten foot holes. You want to drill like eight ten thousand foot holes. Yeah. And so it was um, good advice of like you know following up Absolutely. and making sure you're building those relationships. But um, yeah. It was really good to talk to you today. Um, I think from a bioengineering side, which I've never seen before, this was really interesting. Um, I'm glad you're doing well and you're enjoying your role here. So I appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. (laughs) Yeah, Lucy, it's so good to see you again. I've always like thought you were so amazing and so smart and like, like it, it it shows in this conversation, but you also just like always like outworked everybody. And so I just can't wait to see like how you grow in your career. And um, yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you, Allie. And thank you as always for listening to the BME Grad Podcast. We hope you subscribe to our show and leave a review wherever you're listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube and get links to all of our social media, listening platforms, and more information on us at the BMEGradPodcast.com. See you next time. Thank you.